generosity and your, uh, your friendship. And we've had a good time this week and uh, thoroughly enjoyed the visit and meeting new faces, new, new people. And um, regarding the offering, wow, it's just, un, I'm, I'm speechless and uh, very, very humbled, very honored. And so thank you. Thank you from our hearts. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you for your friendship. Daniel chapter 2 tonight. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 2, and I'm going to read about three verses from that, from that chapter. Daniel chapter 2, beginning at verse number 31. When you have it, say amen. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image, image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass. His legs of iron, his feet, part of iron, part of clay. Stop right there. Have you ever had a vivid dream, whether it's something scary or something enjoyable, but for some crazy reason, the next morning after you woke up, though it was so vivid and though it was so impacting, Maybe while you were thinking, while you were dreaming, you thought, well, I'm going to remember this in your other part of your brain. But the next morning when you got up, for some reason, for the life of you, you ever had a dream that you just simply cannot remember the details of that dream? <clears throat> if it was an enjoyable dream, maybe that day you just had a good mood Everything was light and exciting, and it was, it was wonderful. But if the dream was less than desirable, maybe scary, but you can't put your finger on exactly what it was, maybe you were troubled the rest of that day. Something, though you couldn't put your finger on, you just can't remember what those specifics were, but now it's gone. <clears throat> If that has ever happened to you, then wouldn't it be reasonable to believe that it probably happened to Nebuchadnezzar? It's very reasonable to believe that not only did that dream happen to Nebuchadnezzar, but it's very reasonable if it happened to just common folks like you and me. If something so significant troubled the heart of a monarch such as what the Bible calls a king of kings, Nebuchadnezzar, wouldn't it be perfectly reasonable to believe that God had in that dream a message to give regarding future events? He would give it, of course, to someone like Nebuchadnezzar because he would go on, as we know now in history, to hold such a prominent position of power in world history. 
We all know probably that a lot of importance was placed upon dreams back in ancient times, whether it was among the people of God or whether it was among some of the heathen nations. Another king comes to mind, the king known as the Pharaoh. The significance of Pharaoh's dreams come to mind. When we recall, Joseph had revealed to him the coming of seven years of plenty, the seven years of famine following the dreams that King Pharaoh or the Pharaoh had. In our text, we read here in in Daniel chapter 2, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had left such a powerful impression upon his mind. He was troubled beyond words. He was so troubled that uh, he became irrational. He became unpredictable. He became scary. Called for the wise men, and he demands of them that they tell him not only the meaning of the dream, but he wanted them to also reveal to him what the dream was because he had forgotten about it. He couldn't recall. Something probably made him feel that it was of such significance that there may have been a divine message in his dream. I want you to consider with me tonight as we we make our way through this message that all power belongs to God. Amen. Imagine the humility of someone like Pharaoh or someone like Nebuchadnezzar to not be able to do something. None of their right-hand men could do anything about it. None of their magicians and none of their scholars, none of, none of their wise men could help them in their situation. Rem- imagine the humility of these men when they realized they were powerless to understand the meaning or the importance of their dreams. Uh, these men were men who held supreme power. Pharaoh, by the way, was esteemed as a god to be worshipped. And while he, he, could be, he was able to remember his dreams, he was totally helpless to make any sense of cows eating other cows, ears of corn getting big and eating other ears of corn. He's clueless. It makes no sense to him. Nebuchadnezzar's power, of course, was unquestioned. He was like a god to the people of his realm. He could, in his position, he could require people to be put to death according to his will, whenever he wanted them to, for whatever reason he wanted to. He can pronounce a death sentence upon them and they could be put to death. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't have the power to even remember the details of his dream, let alone the interpretation. Both of these men would be at the mercy of a couple slave boys to help them out in their dilemma. Imagine the humility humility that had to come to these men because of this. Seems like God has a way of saying, you may hold a position, 
but all power belongs to me. Amen. It's his way of saying that he holds all power and he holds all knowledge. You see, Moses wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse number 29 that the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. There are those who are wise. There are those who are powerful among the people of the earth, but God would require that they seek out some humble believer as a vital piece to the puzzle so that they might be able to find the answer to their dilemma. See, the truth is that the kings and leaders in high office in this world really have no power at all except what is ultimately given to them by God in the first place. Brother Paul wrote, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, of course, we know that there is no ignorance or weakness with God. So he also goes, goes on to say that God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. If we listen closely tonight, we might be able to make out just a little melody with a little bit of imagination from the pen of the psalmist David when he says, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Amen. Hey, in the New Testament, Jesus picks out a handful of fishermen and common folk to be Holy Ghost-filled preachers, to turn their world upside down with the gospel. Eyewitness of the apostle, amen, eyewitnesses of the apostle Paul said that his letters were weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence was weak, amen, and his speaking skills, they said, were contemptible. And so here we got the great Pharaoh who has to seek out his Joseph to find an answer to the, to the dilemma that he faces. I just can't make any sense of these cattles, this, this cattle eating their brothers and their sisters. And I just can't make, I can't wrap my head around uh, uh, ears of corn rising up and becoming so, uh, so powerful and healthy and fat and strong. And then after they become so fat, that they grow lean, and then the lean ones would eat up the others, and then it's seven of them that does all of these things. Amen. Oh, and so then Nebuchadnezzar has to look out his Daniel to find an answer to his trouble. Amen. If they are to hear a word from the Lord, they're going to have to be put in touch with someone who is in touch with the Lord. What a mighty God. We serve. Amen. Oh, yes. All power belongs to God. Consider with me, secondly, this dream of Nebuchadnezzar. 
Most Bible scholars agree that the, that the dream was given to reveal a course of history in advance. You Bible scholars, you Bible readers or Bible students will understand this. The dream of Nebuchadnezzar was a prophetic preview, if you will, of the times of the Gentiles. We'll give you some of the details as we go along tonight. But this remarkable dream revealed in advance four powerful world empires in the exact order they would appear, but it was revealed in the future. It's easy for you and I to look back in history and see the Roman Empire and then the Grecian Empire and then the Medo-Persian Empire and going further back to the Babylonian Empire. But Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that Daniel interpreted that gave them their names and their exact um, uh, chronology in advance. Our text that we read here in chapter 2 picks up where Daniel begins to call to mind, uh, the mind of Nebuchadnezzar, exactly what he saw in the dream. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar has been so troubled. He has been without sleep. He has not been able to get this off of his mind. He's been so completely flummoxed, if you will, with all the trouble going on because he had such a powerful and vivid dream, but is unable to remember it. He tells his wise men, if you cannot tell me the dream and then give me the interpretation of the dream, I will kill you and your families. I will destroy your homes and make them dunghills. But Daniel stands before Nebuchadnezzar and out of his mouth comes these words, thou sawest and behold a great image. I can imagine in my mind, Nebuchadnezzar sitting back on his, on his throne, closing his eyes and putting his hand to his forehead like this. Ah, yes. It seems that I can remember now. There was indeed a great image in my dream. This great image whose brightness was excellent stood before thee, and the form was terrible. Ah, oh, yes. Speak on, boy. I'm hearing what you have to say. And yes, you're exactly right. That's exactly what I saw. Imagine Nebuchadnezzar leaning forward with his eyes wide open and fixed on Daniel as he begins to, to describe in great detail the specifics of this forgotten dream. Amen. With that particular sentence of, amen, thou sawest, amen, this is what you saw and this is what it means. Amen, it's coming back to him. Amen, in the next two verses, Daniel gives a, a simple description of the image that Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar saw. This is what he says. The head of this image was made of fine gold, 
I'll imagine the details of this dream. His breast and his arms are made of silver. Oh, that's right, young Hebrew boy. That's exactly the way I remember it too. What else was in that dream? Well, his belly and his thighs were made of brass. Oh, yes, that's exactly right. I remember that now. And his legs were made of iron. Oh, yes, I remember that. But it still, it still seems kind of foggy. What were his feet made of? Daniel says his feet actually were a combination of part iron and part clay. And so then the interpretation of the dream begins, and we didn't read that far, but it begins in verses 37 and 38. This is the dream we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. He goes on and says in verse number 37, O Nebuchadnezzar, thou art a king of kings. God, he goes on to say, had given him strength and power and a kingdom and glory. God had made him a ruler over the inhabitants of all the earth. Even the beasts of the field and the birds had been placed under his authority. Very clearly, Nebuchadnezzar was represented by the head of gold. O king, thou art this head of gold. What more could a man ask for? He's just been told that in a dream that had troubled him for days, that he was the head of gold. And his position is represented by the most precious of all metals. Consider with me tonight, number three, the head of gold. See, Daniel wrapped up his interpretation and by saying these words in verse number 45, the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof sure. Oh, this is exactly what takes place. And all of a sudden, the king of kings, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, stands to his feet and falls on his face before Daniel to worship him. Daniel is promoted to be ruler over the entire province of Babylon. He's made chief of the wise man, wise men. And then at his request, his three best friends, a.k.a. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are promoted to govern the affairs of Babylon as well. Nebuchadnezzar, as the head of gold, historically, Nebuchadnezzar indeed became the most important ruler over the Babylonian Empire. He conquered Jerusalem. Let's give a little history tonight. He conquered Jerusalem and he destroyed Solomon's temple. 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 13. And he carried out thence all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 14. And he carried away all Jerusalem and all the princes and all the mighty men of valor, even 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths. None remained save the poorest sort of the people of the land. Listen, we read through the Bible. We'll find Nebuchadnezzar is mentioned in nine books of the Bible by name. King Nebuchadnezzar was not only a great king, but King Nebuchadnezzar was a great builder. According to the historian Herodotus, the main city was in the form of a square that was 14 miles long 
on each side. The wall around the city was 56 miles long, 300 feet high. 25 feet thick and then another wall behind was 75 feet behind the first wall and the wall extended 35 feet into the ground. There were 250 towers that stood 450 feet high. The river Euphrates flowed through the middle of the city with ferry boats and a one half mile long bridge with drawbridges that closed each night. Nebuchadnezzar's palace was considered to be the most magnificent building ever built on earth. There are many more details, but of course, let's not forget one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the hanging gardens of Babylon. These hanging gardens was a massive tiered structure as high as the city walls and about four and a half acres at its base. Water was raised for irrigation from the river by hydraulic pumps. It's said that Nebuchadnezzar had this beautiful, strange, ancient wonder built for his wife because she missed the mountains of Montana. Well, it wasn't Montana. Just making sure you're awake here tonight. We can see them, by the way, now after all the smoke blows away. She missed the mountains of her homeland. All together now. Oh, <laughs> she missed him. And so he had, to, he had to do it for her. Of all that Nebuchadnezzar built, we can ask the question, can it really get any better than this? Can you imagine the citizens of Babylon as they walked through their great city? as they stood on the shores of their great river, as they looked up at the walls of their great city and thought, this, this is impenetrable. We are the most powerful city and we are members, we are citizens of the most powerful country in all the world. Our king, Nebuchadnezzar, is the most powerful potentate on the planet. It cannot get any better than this. But I've got a question for us. Can it get any better than this? I suppose it's human nature to always want something better. We get a job in hopes that we don't have to stay at the bottom of the ladder. We buy our first car and hope that one day we'll be able to drive something nicer. The house we live in may be sufficient, but we dream of having something better. So we paint the walls, Amen. especially if you live in a little trailer house. We paint the walls. We build walls around it. We're hoping to put a roof over it, right? We buy new furniture. We install new carpet. We plant flowers. We plant shrubs. We're constantly hoping. We're constantly hoping for something better. We do the same thing. We are hoping gas prices will come down again. We're hoping that the economy will turn around. We want gr grocery prices to be reasonable. We're hoping that inflation will go away. 
We want low interest rates. We want to invest and we want to become millionaires. We want our children to grow up and we want them to have it better than we did. Will it ever get better? All we've heard about this past week is it's getting worse and it's getting worse. Our economy is getting worse. Our administration is getting worse. Our border is getting worse. Our world is getting worse and worse. Will it ever get better? Notice the grim reality seen in the remaining sections of the image in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. For the head of gold was made, of course, of the finest of metals. It's followed by the breast and arms of silver. This section of the image represented the Medo-Persian Empire. It goes without saying that silver is of lesser value than gold. Following the silver were the belly and thighs of brass. This section of brass represented the empire of Greece. Without comments on the actual rule of the world leaders, we recognize that brass is of much lesser value than silver. Then we come to the fourth empire as seen in the legs of iron. The legs of iron represented the Roman empire. And again, iron is of lesser value than the brass. As history continues to play out, we eventually come to the conclusion that the work and the effort of mankind only goes backward and it tends downward. Nebuchadnezzar still stands as an object lesson for us tonight, amen, of man trying to make it on his own. But in the end, Babylon is conquered and another empire comes and takes its place. Kings who set themselves up as gods become old, they eventually falter. Most often their efforts go to the grave with them. As I stand before you tonight, dictators have come and gone. Their rulership is cut off and they become a figment of our imagination. They simply rule for time and soon they're cut off and they become a thing of the past. Men and women of political power today only have a limited time and the church said, praise God. Amen, it sure doesn't seem like anything's ever going to get better. Amen, the final section of this image is the feet. Amen, being part of iron and part of clay. Curiously, wouldn't it, wouldn't it surprise you that the foundation of this mighty image is the weakest part of the image? It's a mixture of really something that doesn't mix iron and clay like oil and water can never mix. It has gotten weaker with the passing of each substance. And it almost seems like September 2022, that we're living right there, right now. No wonder our economy is in the shape it's in. Well, no wonder the world is in the shape it's in. It seems like it all makes sense when we look at it logically from the scripture. It began with the greatest, and it seems like it's only gone backward. With each passing empire, it takes a step backward. With each potentate or power that lives and then dies, it becomes weaker with the passing of each 
substance. Oh, let's come to 2022. Church membership is on the decline. Scandals have rocked major church denominations. Many in our government are determined just tonight as I stand before you to strip us of our freedom. They want to silence or cancel anyone who opposes their ideology. Seems like there's no end to the corruption, the violence, the rapid decay of morality in our world. Is this all we have to look forward to? Is this the way it all ends? Many things are going to get worse in this old world. Except for the people of God. Except for the people of God. Then it's going to get better. Hallelujah. It's going to get so much better. In fact, it's going to get infinitely better. Amen. But it will not be by anything that man can do or anything that man can buy or anything that man can bring. Amen. Nebuchadnezzar did not just see a declining image, but as we look in the text, amen, in the passage of our text, we find that Nebuchadnezzar saw something else. You see, Daniel didn't wrap up the vision with the head of gold, the shoulders of silver, the belly of brass, and the legs of iron, and the feet of iron and clay. But he saw something else. Look with me in chapter 2 and verse number 34. Daniel chapter 2 and verse number 34. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands. Hallelujah. Ah, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces. Verse number five, 35. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Can I preach to us tonight that the stone that was cut out without hands clearly represents Jesus, our Savior. That stone that's cut out without hands clearly represents the Christ, amen, and the coming kingdom that he's going to build. This world is certainly not going to get better on the outside, amen, outside of Christ. It can go nowhere except Christ come. It can be nothing better until Jesus returns and builds the kingdom, and all the kingdom that Jesus is going to build. Amen. Amen. I want to be on the Lord's side tonight. How about you? Amen. You and I need to keep our eyes off of the kingdoms of this world and turn our eyes toward Christ. Amen. 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 One of these days, everything is going to get better for the child of God. And I say to us tonight that it's going to get infinitely better. Amen. Oh, the world is going to align themselves together. And we're seeing these things happen right before our very eyes. We watch them. They align themselves. I kind of gave names to some of them. We've got the Climate Change Army. We got the LGBTQ and all the other alphabet army. We got the transgender army. We got the Muslim army, the atheist army. Amen. All the God haters armies. Amen. Is going to gather to conquer the kingdom of God. 
but out of the heavens. Amen. Nebuchadnezzar saw it. Daniel told him about it. Amen. And Daniel gave him the interpretation. Amen. Out of the heavens is going to come this mighty stone that's been cut out without hands and riding with him on white horses. Amen. We'll be all the armies of heaven, but we won't have to lift a finger in that day as he lands a blow that levels all of his enemies. And Jesus will set up a kingdom, and his kingdom will be a kingdom of righteousness that will fill the whole earth. And it's going to last forever. My assignment, <laughs> what will we experience as Christians after the rapture? I don't know about you, but I think we all want to be there. Amen. When Jesus comes, his kingdom fills all the earth. And one thing's for certain, we can put it down in our little black books. We can underline it. We can highlight it. We can make copies of it and send it to all of our friends for Christmas. That when Jesus comes again, his kingdom will never fall ever again. Amen. It's going to last forever. The title of my message tonight is simply this. Things are going to get better after a while. It was said this morning, it's only going to get better. We only have more to look forward to. You see, as the children of God, we're not concerned about an antichrist. As the children of God, we're not concerned, amen, about asteroids flying through the heavens. As the children of God, we're not concerned, amen, about buzzing creatures coming up out of the bottomless pit. Amen, as children of God, we're watching, amen, for the appearance of the Almighty God as He splits the sky and comes to this earth and fills this place with a kingdom that will last forever and ever and ever. The Bible says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And we comfort one another with these words. And the church said, amen. In closing tonight, Daniel concludes the interpretation of the dream by stating emphatically, and I want you to look with me, there in Daniel chapter 2, God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Verse number 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. The kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. What a mighty God we serve. As I stand before you tonight, let's all stand together. As we stand together tonight, you and I, somebody said one time, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. I believe fear is of the devil. Perfect love casts out fear. We have a relationship with the King of Kings who loved us with an everlasting love, who paid the price so that you and I could have eternal life. He didn't do it just so that we can Float on clouds and strum on harps and keep our halos tilted in the right direction. He did it because he intends to reign forever and ever. If you're a child of God tonight, he's reigning right in your hearts. Amen. Amen. You see, when Jesus went back to heaven, after his disciples, his disciples were a little sad about him going back. We mentioned this morning, he said, let not your heart be, be troubled. 
I'm going away, but I'm coming back. He said, I'm going to send you another comforter who will abide with you. You realize when the Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost and the Spirit of God indwelt and empowered his believers, amen, Jesus was more powerful in the earth than ever before. I started a church back home. Amen, having the Holy Ghost with us is a lot like having Jesus with us. Amen, Jesus was a comforter and the Holy Ghost is a comforter. Jesus had the power to help them in their situations and the Holy Ghost is all-powerful to help us and guide us and teach us, just as Jesus did. It's like it's a whole lot like having Jesus, only better. How is it better? Well, you see, when Jesus walked the face of this earth, he can only be one place at one time. They had to wait on him. When he didn't show up, their, their brother might die. If he didn't show up on time, he could send the word, but sometimes, oh, it'd be just so much better if Jesus were here. But when Jesus went back and he filled people with the Holy Ghost... You realize that the presence of Christ now floods this, this world? I looked it up this afternoon. The Christian religion is still the number one religion in the world, and almost twice that, called Islam. Almost two times the size of Muslims. Amen. You think we've got anything to worry about? No. Our God is the God of gods. Our Lord is the Lord of lords. Our King is the King of kings. Amen. What a mighty God we serve. Right where you are, let's just lift our hands. If you love God, you believe God, let's take a moment and worship the King of Kings. We worship you tonight, Lord. You are worthy, O God. Amen. To receive glory and honor and power. You are worthy, O God. There is none like you in all the earth.